Um, Pastor Troy contacted me a couple of weeks ago and asked me if I could fill in this Sunday because he was wanting to do this trip with his dad. And um, so we talked about which one, which he's in this. If, those of you that may not know that haven't been here recently, we're doing a question and answer series right now called Asking for a Friend. And in doing that, what happened is a lot of people have submitted questions over the last couple of months, uh, things they want Pastor Troy to answer. And he's been answering those every Sunday. And some of them are quite interesting. We've gotten into a lot of um, very interesting topics over the last few weeks. Last week we looked at creation and dinosaurs. Um, I will tell you on the front end before I go into actually preaching that um, I've, I've said this before from the pulpit, but Pastor Troy and I probably agree more on theology than any other pastor I know. Um, we don't agree on everything, but we agree on a lot. We agree on the major stuff for sure. The things we disagree on, we both agree are minor issues uh, that would not break fellowship or anything like that. And um, I, I, I know there's just three or four top topics that we kind of debate with one another here and there and discuss uh, where we kind of disagree. In some places, he's come closer to me over the last few years. Some places, I've come a little closer to him over the last few years. Last week, I found out we disagreed on some things when it came to dinosaurs and creation, but that's okay. He said, he said in the sermon that this is his opinion. Uh, so that's, that's very important. Um, I, I, I do like to say, though, when I say that we agree on a lot but not everything, that someday we're going to be in heaven and we're all going to know that I was right. So... Anyway, uh, <laughs> no, um, I'm sure he's going to be right about at least a couple of things. So we're, uh, uh, do want to remind you of how we do this, though, of how Pastor Troy's been doing this. I'm going to follow the same rules. Um, did we put the, did we have the rules in there? Okay, making sure. Um, I want to remind you that where the Bible speaks, because I can't remember this as well as he does, because he does this all the time. When the Bible speaks clearly, I will speak clearly. Oh, by the way, also, there's a phone number that's going to be on the screen the entire sermon. I don't really want to make this announcement. But <laughs> you can feel free during the sermon to text in questions still at the end of the service. Um, I don't know yet who it's going to be. Uh, either Hunter or Parker, one's going to come up here and <laughs> ask me a question. And it's going to be one that was texted in during the service that I have to answer off the top of my head, so be nice. But when the, as far as the sermon goes, when the Bible speaks clearly, I will speak clearly. So if I know this is a biblical principle, this is something that is stated clearly in the Bible, I'm going to tell you that. This is what the Bible says. However, number two, because uh, I forget. When the Bible gives a principle, I will speak to apply that principle. So sometimes we don't have a verse that says exactly what it is. I know Pastor Troy has used several times the, the analogy of, of uh, marijuana because that's become a big thing nowadays. And, you know, the Bible didn't ever actually mention marijuana. So we go to biblical principles is what we look at when we talk about things like that. And then thirdly, when the Bible is silent... I will give you my opinion. I do have opinions. I will say this on the front end. I am not the pastor. Pastor Troy is our pastor. And I typically will not teach on something in front of the church that he and I do not agree on because I don't want to teach something that's contrary to what he teaches. Um, 
In this case, it's simply an opinion, though. If it's my opinion, I will tell you it's my opinion. And if he and I disagree, then he can share his opinion later if he wants to come back and rebut me. I don't care. But uh, the, it will be just an opinion. That's where we're not, where there's really no, nothing biblically to state this as a fact. This is, and there's a couple of these today that I'll be having to give you just my opinion based on what the questions are. So let's talk about mental health. I might be the right person for that sometimes. Um, you ever felt like you didn't belong? You ever felt like you, you're losing your mind maybe? Yeah, uh, I think most people do at some point. Let me tell you, I, um, here's the deal. If you're dealing with mental health issues, if you're struggling in any way with whatever it is, I just want to tell you flat out, get over it. Suck it up. Man up. Do what you're supposed to do. It's good advice, right? Regina said no. Here's the deal. Years ago when I was a pastor, that's what I told my church. It's been quite a while ago. But I stood in front of my church one Sunday and said, you dealing with depression? Get over it. Get up. Do what you got to do. You got a job to do. Go do your job. You got a family support. Go support your family. I said that. And I got a lot of praise from people. That's right, preacher. You tell them. Well, then I went through some stuff. I lost my ministry. Had to work like crazy to, to keep my marriage at that time. And after a few months of dealing with something that I didn't understand and something that I didn't even know what it was, all of a sudden I found my wife telling me, you got to go get some help. And I ended up going to the doctor and they diagnosed me with depression. And they put me on some medicine, and I didn't really want to do that. I was opposed to it at the time, but I said, okay, I'll try it. We'll see what happens. And then I took that medicine for maybe three or four months, and I quit taking it, and I was fine. Everything was fine for actually several years. Everything was fine overall. I mean, it little everybody has ups and downs. Everybody has times they're a little down, but, I, but, but overall, I was fine. And then all of a sudden, some, another major thing happened in our life. And all of a sudden, I was, it took me several months to admit it, but I was there again. Went back to the doctor, and they, again, prescribed me a different medicine this time because I couldn't remember what I had the first time. And they, uh, and it seemed to work pretty well for about four or five months, and I got off of it, and I was fine. Uh, a little less than two years ago. All of a sudden, some things, and, and it wasn't really anything happened. All of a sudden, I just started noticing some symptoms. I started noticing that I wasn't who I needed to be. I was, I was struggling in a lot of areas. And it took me, again, quite a few months before I did anything. And I was thinking about going to the doctor, and all of a sudden I, I saw this thing about a, a place in Memphis that does studies on experimental medicine. And, and I signed up for it because um, I thought, I don't really know what I'm doing. And if nothing else, they can at least diagnose me or not. I went up there and they diagnosed me, and then I found out they actually paid me to, anytime I come in, that's pretty decent. Um, wasn't bad. Um, they put me on experimental medicine, and this medicine, honestly, after 
just a few weeks, I could tell a difference. My wife could tell a difference. My wife over the last several months has told me what a different man I've become just, just in taking a simple pill every day. And I thought, oh, man, I can't believe it. And I was, I was excited about it. And it's actually supposed to go through August is when I'm supposed to continue the study. But a little over a month ago, I, got, I, had, I was there for one of my regular meetings and I, um, one of my regular checkups. And they do all kind of stuff, man. They check everything. And I, um, about three days after my, my checkup, I got a call from my nurse saying, hey, the, the pharmaceutical company that's doing this has decided to stop this study. So you got to come in Monday and turn in your meds. And so I've now gone a month without any meds. Um, I'm doing pretty good. At least, you know, an hour or two a day. Um, now, here, but here's what they told me. They said, I've I got to go back in tomorrow, actually, for my final checkup to see how I'm doing since I'm off the meds for a month. And they're going to write me a prescription for something that's already on the market. And the reason is what the doctor is telling me is because this is my third episode and it's, it was pretty severe, they, they think I need to go ahead and stay on something. And, and after the last two or three weeks, I, I, I agree. Now, I don't tell you that to brag by any means. I don't tell you that because I really want you in my business. The truth is I haven't told a whole lot of people about this until today. Um, and the truth is when I was younger, I would have been embarrassed to admit it. Matter of fact, the first two times that I took medicine for depression, I didn't want anybody knowing except my wife. I was embarrassed. When I was a teenager, we didn't talk about this stuff. We didn't talk about depression. We didn't talk about anxiety. We didn't talk about suicide. And now today, it seems like it's everywhere. Now today, every, every, every time you turn around, there's a new movement, a new commercial, a new thing that's going on in order to make people aware. And yet, Friday, I put out a thing on social media, on, on Facebook, asking people three questions about mental health and what they thought. And several people answered there underneath, but quite a few actually sent me private messages with their answers. And what I noticed in there is that there, there were some that said, Yes, we, it, it's more prevalent today. We notice it more today. There's others that say we still don't talk about There was quite a few that said we still don't talk about it enough. We talk about it more than we used to, but we still don't talk about it enough because there's still a lot of people dealing with it. As a matter of fact, let me share a few statistics with you about this that I found as I was researching for this sermon. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, research shows that mental illnesses are common in the United States, affecting tens of millions of people each year. Estimates suggest that only half of people with mental illnesses receive treatment. Only half. So there's half the people out there that are dealing with it that don't even get any help. And we'll talk more about the treatment issue in just a minute, in, in a few minutes, I promise. Um, also, national, all, all of these statistics right here, the next three are all from National Institute of Mental Health. It says, it's estimated that more than one in five U.S. adults live with a mental illness. 57.8 million in 2021. That's a lot of people. An estimated 49.5% of adolescents 
had any mental disorder. And when, now understand when they do this, either any mental disorder, any mental illness, all of the places that do this either talk about any or, um, or um, well, it starts with an S, severe. Um, and so you're going to see later in here where I'm talking about AMI, that's saying any mental illness. So these are things such as depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, um, huh? Bipolar, Bipolar yeah. Um, Self-harming, things like this. Um, and all of these things seem to be very prevalent today. You know, when I, again, a few years ago, if I was talking about bipolar, it would have been as a joke. You know, somebody, if somebody's nice to you one minute and mean to you the next minute, you make a joke. Like, Man, what are you, bipolar? And, well, and then all of a sudden you find out, well, yeah, I am. Um, and now I've got, you know, and, but at first people didn't want to admit that. And still some people don't want to, and some people don't even know they have it. You meet somebody who's really bipolar, a lot of times they don't even know it. They don't even realize it at first. And so we're dealing with this stuff, and I know this is, y'all are used, well, those of you that are used to hearing me speak know that I, I, I tend to kind of be a little more lighthearted. I tend to be a little, I like to make jokes. I like to make people laugh sometimes at very inconvenient moments. Um, <laughs> but today we're, we're dealing with a very serious issue. And I want to be able to address it with all sincerity because the, these statistics show us that there's an issue in our country. The next statistic says, of adolescents with any mental, mental disorder, an estimated 22.2% had severe impairment and or distress. 22% of them were severe enough that they were actually impaired. They were distressed. They couldn't get through what they needed to do. According to the Banyan Treatment Center, young adults between the ages of 18 and 25 had the highest prevalence of any mental illness, 29.4%, compared to adults between the ages of 26 to 49 years, which is 25%, and 50 and older were at 14.1%. So, you know, us older people, we're not as crazy as the rest of y'all. That's what, that's what they're saying. But no, <laughs> again, I joke at inappropriate moments. Um, but it's showing that there is some things going on in our country. That in the world, really. Um, they also say at the Banyan Treatment Center, any mental disorder was higher among U.S. females than males in 2019. Insert joke here. Um, but let me say this. I think that's true to a certain extent, but I also think it's probably skewed because men are less likely to go get help and to be recorded as having these issues. I, I'll give you an example. When I was a missionary to Nicaragua, we used to bring in medical teams that would go in and to small, poor villages, and we would do medical and dental clinics uh, there for several days. And we also, for most of our teams, we would do a veterinary clinic. In the veterinary clinic, what we do is we would sit out outside of the, we would usually meet in, in like a schoolhouse and we would sit up outside of that somewhere in the community. And it would be a place for men to bring their cattle and their horses and their pigs and things for us to give them vaccines because they were poor and they couldn't really do that on a regular basis. 
And here's the reason we did that. Well, there are several reasons we did that, but one of the primary reasons we did that is because a lot of these cowboys that were out there taking care of their cows and horses and pigs, they would come and get their, their animals taken care of, but they would not go to the medical clinic and get themselves taken care of. And so by them coming and bringing their animals that they were going to take care of because that was their livelihood, we were able to share the gospel with them and introduce them to Jesus where they would not go to the medical clinic where we had that opportunity. And that's just because men are stubborn. Men are prideful. But according to statistics, females have a higher percentage of mental illness than men. Now, we're going to get into these questions, and I'm going to try to answer them as quickly as I can. I am going to tell you that the first couple, there's not a lot of Scripture to go with it. It's just giving you some information, but then we're going to look at quite a bit of Scripture for the last two. We've got four questions today. Um, I just wanted to start out, though, by letting you see the seriousness of this, how real this is in our society. This is a very real issue. If you haven't dealt with it in your life yet, the chances are there's somebody in your life that's close to you who is dealing with this in some way. So it's a very real issue. And I think the church needs to address it. The church needs to be open about it. Like I said, for, when, I used to, when I preached that sermon years ago and told people just suck it up, just get over it, there were a lot of preachers saying that same thing. And nowadays there's still some out there saying that same thing. But more and more people are understanding that our mental health really does matter. And there's some things we can do, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. Question one. And I have no idea who wrote any of these questions. Pastor Troy just shared them with me, and so we're going with it, okay? I've read several verses that talk about Jesus eating with his followers. Does this have anything to do with the social anxiety and being afraid to eat in front of people? All right, before I get into a big explanation on this one, I'm just going to give you my, my official answer. We don't see evidence of this in the Bible. Jesus interacted with people on a regular basis. He spent time with large crowds as well as small groups and individuals. And that's the thing. If you look at the life of Jesus, he was constantly going out. He, he traveled to different cities. He talked to different people. There were times that he would just walk up into a group and join them. There were times that, like he went to Zacchaeus and said, hey, I'm coming to your house tonight. That's not, you know, it, that, that's a little different. Um, he did spend a lot of time with his disciples. I believe that's a key principle in life in that Jesus went out and he spent time with the lost in order to, to influence them and win them over. But the majority of his time he spent with his 12 disciples who were his close-knit group that he was teaching and he was leading and he was helping them and, and they were all growing together. And then even there was even a smaller group inside of that of three of the disciples that he was even closer to that he spent even more time with in, you know, as a individually or as a small group. And so I think what it is is Jesus was just showing us that you got to be willing to, to do whatever it takes to help reach people and to help grow them and teach them and influence them in some way. And he did it in a lot of ways. Now, I do want to say this as, as, as a statement of caution. Whoever wrote this, I'm assuming you have social anxiety in some way. And, and, and I understand that. I, I know quite a few people in my life who, who have that and who deal with that in some way. And, that's, 
and again, in my early days, I just wanted to say, hey, get over it. Let's go. Let's go eat. Um, let's go to the concert. Let's go whatever. And now as I've learned and, and gotten more acquainted with people and learned more about it, I understand that this really is a big thing for some people. But let me just say that we cannot project everything we're going through onto Jesus in passages in the Bible. There are things that, that we're going to understand Jesus experienced everything we experienced in some way. Understand that Jesus was there and he understands our temptations. He understands our struggles. He understands everything we're, we're going through. But, um, but we can't, we can't take everything that we personally are going through and try to project it into verses in the Bible. Okay. We have to understand what's going on. And one of my, I don't, I don't it's, like, I like to watch movies and TV shows, but I get really aggravated when they, when they give me t movies that are written today, but they're about time years ago, and they try to make everything fit into today's view because things were different 30 years ago than they are now. And I say, why not portray it the way it was instead of the way you want it to be? And it's the same thing when we're reading the Bible. When we're reading the Bible, we have to take into account when it was written, why it was written, who wrote it, what was the atmosphere, why, what was the purpose of it, and all that. And we can't, we can't just automatically, you know, find a verse, you know, well, Jesus, we have a verse that says Jesus wept. Okay, well, that means I'm supposed to cry all the time. No, that's not what it meant. It's just telling us that Jesus wept. Why? But his friend died. I mean, it's okay to cry. Jesus, I believe, was one of the manliest men that ever lived. He cried. Okay. That doesn't mean we're supposed to walk around crying every time we talk. So we, we can't, and I'm not trying to oversimplify that, but I do want you to understand that if you're going through this, we're going to talk in a minute about some solutions, okay? I'm not going to do that right now because of time, but I want you to understand that I don't believe that Jesus eating with his disciples in private was social anxiety. I believe Jesus eating with his disciples in private was him mentoring and teaching them. Okay? Um, so, that's my answer to that one. I hope that was okay and I didn't hurt anybody's feelings. Um, question two. Why has mental illness statistics rocketed recently, especially in the youth? Alright, so this is a big one. We just looked at some statistics on that. I want to show you a few more. According to the Banyan Treatment Center, rates of depression increased by 52% between 2005 and 2017 among adolescents aged 12 to 17 years old. 52% in 12 years. That's pretty big. According to the World Health Organization, globally one in seven 10 to 19 year olds experience a mental disorder accounting for 13% of the global burden of disease in this age group. 13% of kids between 10 and 19. Depression, anxiety, and behavioral disorders are among the leading causes of illness and disability among adolescents. This is something we're seeing on a very regular basis now. Suicide is the fourth leading cause of death among 15 to 29-year-olds. The suicide rate scares me. That's another one of those things that I used to have a different opinion on until it hit my family. Yeah. 
Globally, it's estimated that one in seven, or 14%, 10 to 19-year-olds experience mental health conditions, yet these remain largely unrecognized and untreated. So why does it seem that it's on the rise, especially with youth, is the question. Why does, it, why does that appear to be the, the thing? Well, here's my opinionated answer. <laughs> this is my opinion based on my research and observations. Mental health can be affected by the increased presence of social media and online entertainment. Now, don't get me wrong. There's other contributing factors. But why does it seem so much more prevalent today than it used to? Well, I asked that question on, on Facebook this week and, and had got quite a few different answers. But here's the thing. I don't know if it's... I've questioned, I've struggled with whether or not it's more prevalent today or just more talked about today. I'm not sure. I don't know if it was going on in my day. Honestly, I don't... When I was a teenager, I don't remember dealing with these things. So maybe... It really is more prevalent today. I, but on the other hand, I don't know about my friends because we didn't talk about these things. It didn't seem to be as big a deal back there. So I don't know if it is today, but here's what I know. Um, well, let me, let me say this. This week I shared a post from two years ago that I'd put on Facebook, and it said this. One of my favorite things is time alone with just my thoughts. One of my least favorite things is time alone with just my thoughts. We had a discussion earlier this week with some, some people about this. And isolation has an effect. How many of you consider yourself introverts? So you don't even want to raise your hand, do you? Everybody, all the, how many of you are extroverts? Look at the difference. Extroverts or introverts are like... And here's the deal, though. A lot of introverts believe that all they want to do is be alone. They don't want anybody around them. Don't want anybody talk to me. Just let me have my alone time. And I'm going to tell you, I need alone time. Everybody needs alone time here and there. But when we're isolated, what happens? Your mind starts to mess with you. When you're isolated for long periods of time, all of a sudden, because you know what? These, these little ideas you get in your head, even though they make no sense in the real world, they make a lot of sense in your head. Well, that person must not like me. They didn't like my post. Oh, man, she must have a crush on me. She liked my post. <laughs> Lord help us. And here's what's happened. I, 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 I'm going to read a statement here in a minute, but I, isolation can lead us to places that mess with our minds in big ways. It, think about it from the, think about the story of Jesus being tempted in, in the wilderness. Jesus just spent 40 days fasting. He just spent 40 days with no food. He just spent 40 days alone. And all of a sudden, what happened? What was the next thing that happened? Satan showed up and started to tempt him with some pretty big temptations. What am I telling you? The Bible teaches us that Satan is, is wandering around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And when he finds people who are alone and isolated, and they're not getting the information they need, he sees a way to attack. 
And how does he attack? He gets into your mind and he causes you to think things that will take you away from the plan of God. We're going to talk more about that in just a minute as well. But I strongly believe that the presence of, and I looked up, I know I've only been quoting two places for statistics. That's just because they had some easy ones to share. I actually looked up about 12 different sites and read about mental illness and mental health and, and things like that over the last couple of weeks. And almost every one of them had some type of statement similar to the one I want to share with you. This comes from Banyan Treatment Center, but it says, a possible contributing factor in the nation's rise in mental illness could be the increasing use of social media. Online interactions has taken presence over face-to-face communication, perpetuating isolation and loneliness. Growing trends on apps like Instagram and TikTok influence users to look and dress a certain way. General comparisons and unrealistic expectations of physical appearance often affect users, particularly female users, which can contribute to depression, anxiety, and eating disorders. Those who are frequently online are also more likely to experience cyberbullying, which is linked to depression and suicidal behaviors. Considering the contrast changes in trends introduced on, on online social platforms, it's no wonder why the number of adults between the ages of 18 and 25 who experience psychological distress increased between 2008 and 2017, 71% increase. And here's the deal. Think about what all they're saying there. And I read that because they said it better than I do. But how many of you know, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you know somebody that has experienced cyberbullying? I do. Because people get, but man, y'all go to Twitter. Just go to Twitter and make any comment, just any basic little statement and watch how many people attack and just tear you down. Because it's so easy to go off when you're just sitting there on a keyboard. It's so easy to just believe one way when the only thing you know is what's right there in front of you. And you haven't really studied the issues. You haven't spent time with people. One of the, I think one of the things that's helped me most in my life is that I've done a lot of traveling in my life. I really believe that's helped me because it's opened me up to new cultures, new, new ways of living, new ways of thinking. And what I found out is people that are totally different than me in many ways still are just human. They still want love. They still want acceptance. They still want to laugh. They still love their families and love the place they live. And on social media, it's so easy to forget that the person on the other side of that comment is a human with feelings and emotions. And there have been a lot of suicides over these type things. And I do believe that a lot of it, because if you, people are so wrapped up in what Hollywood thinks, what the movies say, what the TV shows, we've got to dress this way, we've got to talk this way, we've got to listen to this, we've got to do this. As the mind thinketh so... So is the heart. So a man's going to become what he thinks. Garbage in, garbage out is what we used to say in the 80s. Same thing as a computer. Whatever You know what a computer will give you? Whatever's been entered into it. Somewhere in there, if you, if you type in a, an equation in the computer, you know what it's doing? It's running a formula that somebody else created and put into that computer at some point, into that program. 
What are you going to think? You're going to think whatever you spend the most of your time thinking about. Whatever you're watching the most, whatever you're listening to the most, whoever you're responding to the most, the things you allow into your mind the most are going to influence how you think. And right now, there's a lot of kids out there who are spending all of their time online, and all they're hearing is what the world is telling them. And all they're hearing is about how they don't match up to what everybody else is. Because, man, you can make your life look good online. I mean, I go, those, a lot of you know that I go to the Dominican Republic quite often. I have several times this year, be going again in a couple of weeks. And a lot of people just assume because I don't, I don't post pictures of my meetings. I don't post pictures of me. I did once, but I don't post pictures normally of me sitting there at a computer. I don't post pictures of me being out in a lab. I don't post pictures of me trying, you know, going and meeting with suppliers. I post pictures of the, oh, there's the ocean. Isn't that pretty? Oh, look at this nice architecture. I post pictures when I'm out in the evenings and things, and, I, and there's something I can do. And then people think, well, you're just, on, you're just have a dream job. You're just spending all your life on vacation. No, I'm spending my weeks away from my family in another country. Yeah. I, I'm spending my weeks away uh, from my family working in another country, and I just happen to get to see some cool things in the evenings that the people who live there don't think they're that cool. It's like somebody coming here to Memphis who thinks going to Bill Street is cool because <laughs> they don't live here. All right. Anyway, I went way too long on that one. But, but there's the, that, that's my opinion, again, that that's one of the huge contributing factors. Question number three, and i got to get through these last two. And I may have to skip some verses, but I'm going to show you what we got. Are there things we can do to open the door to evil spirits? Con oops, sorry. Conversely, what can we do to close the door? Um, let me say this before I, I'm going to give you an example of this, but let me say this before I do. There is a difference in oppression and possession when we're talking about demonic activity. A true Christian cannot be possessed by a demon, but we can't allow Satan to oppress us. I meant to put the definition in there, but I didn't in my notes, so let me, oh, come on. So there it is. The number one definition of oppression, the exercise of authority or power in a burdensome, cruel, or unjust manner. You remember when Satan was tempting Jesus? One of the temptations was he took him up on the mountain and he showed him out over all the earth and he said, look at all this. If you'll bow down to me, I'll give it to you. How could he do that? Because he was the prince of this earth. I don't believe a Christian can be possessed by a demon. Quite a few years, a few years ago, my mom, toward the end of her life, she, uh, she struggled with her mind not always being clear, forgetting things, not being able to, to you know, say things. And she was worried, and she started to, um, she started to struggle with some ideas. And my mom is one of the strongest Christians I've ever known in my life. She loved the Lord. She could quote scripture like crazy. She's led hundreds of people to the Lord. She is, she's an incredible Bible teacher. Uh, I respect her so much and, and am so thankful for her 
influence in my life. But she came to me one day. I was at her house one day, and she said, Dwindle, what would you think if I asked you and a few others to come over and pray for demons to be cast out of me? And I said, Mom, you know you're a Christian, right? She said, well, yeah, I know that. Jesus lives in me. I know it. I said, Mom, a demon can't live where the Holy Spirit is. You can't be possessed. And she said, oh, you're right. I forgot that. She said, I knew that. I forgot it. She said, I just don't know what to do. I feel so down. I feel like I, feel like I can't do anything anymore. And I said, I understand. But here's the deal. You can't be possessed by a demon if you're a Christian. If you're a non-Christian, you can. Now, why is it we don't see that as much in the U.S. as we do other parts of the world? I, mean, I, can, I don't know if you've ever experienced it or not, but I have. I know Pastor Troy has. Um, I've experienced exorcisms. I've experienced walking into places where demons were very, very alive and active uh, in other parts of the world. And it's scary. Um, but... <clears throat> Even though, in, in, and I do believe, I believe demons and angels are real. I believe they're very real. I believe they're very active. I believe they are, they are, they are around us. And I believe Satan uses them in very specific ways. And I think he uses them different in different parts of the world based on people's understandings. Because what he does is he likes to play these games and get into your head and make you believe things that aren't true. And he'll use your surroundings and he'll use what you think you believe in order to mess with you. He can oppress you because you give him the authority to by inviting him in in places that you really shouldn't. We just talked about the fact that social media and entertainment can hurt on, can, can cause problems with mental illness. Well, the truth is, It can also cause problems by opening us up to the things of Satan. The Bible's very clear that we need to be careful what we listen to, what we watch, how, what, who, who we allow to influence us. Let me give you some passages to help a little bit. Proverbs 4, 18 through 20, or actually uh, 20 through 27. It says, my son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. He's saying, listen to me now. I've got something here I really want you to understand. Talking about his words, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. I believe whole body includes mental illness, mental health. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. What's he saying? He's saying be aware of what's going on. Understand there's a difference in right and wrong. Understand there's a difference in godliness and evil. Understand that where you go and what you do and what you say will affect how you think. And it will affect how you live. 
one of the things that got said this week on my, on my Facebook post at least four different times to me, whether it was on the, the page or in private messages, but at least four times I know people said something to this effect on advice to people struggling with mental health. Be sure you surround yourself with people who love you and will encourage you. Because it's so easy to believe the negative. It's so easy to believe the lies of Satan. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this, Therefore I urge you, bro therefore I urge, where am I? Oh, oh, I moved up. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. No, I don't have time to go into this the way I really want to. But he's saying you offer yourself to God. This is our true worship. Worship is really giving yourself to God. Worship is not the songs we sing. Worship is us giving ourselves to God. Okay? Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. What are you supposed to do? He said, don't be conformed to what the world is saying, but instead allow your mind to be renewed by the word of God, by the Holy Spirit of God, by, by, the, by, by the power of God. Allow the things of God to change your mind and cause you to think the way that he thinks so that you can have what's best. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly, and he wants you to have the best life possible. But the only way to do that is for us to renew our minds through the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can test and approve what's true and what's not. The truth is, if you don't know the Word of God, if you don't know God, if you're not spending time with God, you can't know when a spirit is the true spirit or a false spirit. You can't know if it's a demon or an angel sometimes because they're very convincing. Satan is the father of lies. He is a great deceiver. He is, he is great at disguising himself. Men, he'll send the most beautiful girl you've ever seen into your life just in order to trip you up and ruin your life and make you believe that she really thinks you're handsome. Women, for some of you, to be honest, he'll send some ugly old fat man who treats you like a queen and makes you think your husband's not good enough. Happens all the time. Because Satan knows what gets you. He's watched your patterns, and he knows where you're weak. And what does a lion do? He attacks the weakest. Transfer, uh, transform your mind. Philippians 4, 4 through 9 says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation... By prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And that's an amazing passage. It is so awesome. Don't be anxious about everything, but in every situation, good, bad, or whatever. 
You know, I've said for me, I read this years ago, and I've said it over and over, that if you're, in, if you're in a tough situation right now, things are not going right, just give it some time, it'll pass. If you're in a good situation, everything's going great, give it some time, it'll pass. No matter what situation you're in, give it to God. By prayer petition with thanksgiving, giving thanks even in the bad times. One of the responses to my questions this week was, live a life of, of thanksgiving, of gratitude. Because the more you realize all you have to be thankful for, the easier it is to see the blessings of God in your life and to focus on him instead of the, the, the problems that are there. And then he goes on to say in, in verse 8, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. You want the peace of God in your life? Focus on the positives. Focus on the things of God. Focus on the joy. Focus on the things that the Word of God is teaching, and watch that peace come in. I can't tell you how many times I've failed at this, how many times I've laid in my bed just thinking, oh, poor me, my life is so bad. And the moment I turn it over to God, all of a sudden I start to realize, whew, you know, he's really blessed me. And there's a lot of people that have it way worse than me. Think on the things of God. Put those into your head. How do you do that? Spend time with him. Read his word. Go to church. Watch and listen to things that will lift him up and encourage you instead of drag you down to what the rest of the world is doing. It really makes a difference. I promise you, what you watch and listen to affects your, affects your way of thinking. Question three, or is this four? Sorry, question four. I think I did, okay, good. In my notes, it says question three. Oh, no, it doesn't. It says question four. I didn't scroll up. Thank you. Where do we go or what do we do when we think we may need help with deliverance? Where do we reach out? Okay, well, I don't know the context of this. Deliverance is a big word. And I don't know if you're talking about deliverance from evil spirits or deliverance from um, depression and anxiety and, and things like that. Um, I'm not sure the, the context of this question, so I'm going to answer it in a very general way. Uh, it can mean a lot of things to a lot of people, but let me give you some biblical advice. We're going to go back to a passage we just read, Philippians 4, 4 through 9. It says this, Rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I know I've already read this, but I want you to have it in your head based on this question, where do you go for deliverance? Finally, brothers and sisters, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, 
If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Man, Peter's awful confident. You know why? Because he walked with Jesus, and he knew who he had in him. How do you find deliverance? Same thing I was saying in the previous question. Find the things of God. Focus on the things of God and watch him answer. He has an answer for you. In 1 Peter 5, 6 through 11, it says this, Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Catch this. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Just as a reminder for those of you that may not have been here, or, or a couple of weeks ago I gave an exhortation and I told the story about a preacher um, that shared this illustration and he, he said it, it, when you have anxiety or you have depression or you have worry or trouble in your life and you feel like it's weighing you down, the world's going to tell you just to, to let it go. Just let it go. You're filled with anger or whatever it is, let it go. He says, I don't want you to let it go. And he used the illustration of what happens if I'm bench pressing. If I'm bench pressing 250 pounds, I can do it with one hand, right? I'm bench pressing 250 pounds and I let go, what's it going to do? It's going to crush my chest. He says, you don't want to just let it go. Instead, you want to transfer it to someone else. You want that spotter to grab that, that bar and take it off of you so that it doesn't crush your chest. And, and that's what he's saying here is cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Satan does not care about you. Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy. God loves you and cares for you. So cast your anxiety on him. And he says, be alert and of sober mind. Here's the verse I, I referenced a while ago. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. We have to resist Satan. How do you get delivered? If he's attacking, if he's oppressing, if he's coming at you, you resist him. You use the name of Jesus, and you let him know that he has no authority and no power here. He cannot stand against the authority of Jesus. And understand that you're not going, you're not alone in this. I think this part of the passage, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Understand that whatever you're going through, you're not alone. There's other people out there who are experiencing the same thing, who understand it completely. You're not a freak. You're not the only one. You're not the specific one that Satan's pointed out and said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to attack you in this area. No, he's using the same tricks he's used for thousands of years. And then he goes on to say, and the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, are you saved? Do you know Jesus? Does the Holy Spirit live in you? He's called you to the eternal glory in Christ. After you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Where does deliverance come from? I really believe with all my heart it comes from Jesus. It comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. It comes from God. It is there. 
And I'm going to tell you about that in just a second. We're going, we're going to still answer this question, I promise. I'm just setting it up. James 5, 6 through 11 says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Did I just read that? Never mind. We just read that. I thought I had one more passage. I didn't. Sorry, guys. So let me answer this question based on these passages we just looked at. The question again was, where do we go and what do we do when we think we may need help and deliverance? Where do we reach out? The question is, the answer for me that I want to share with you is to use what God has given. Use what God has given us. Number one, pray for deliverance. Prayer works. You're struggling, you're going through things, spend time in prayer. Talk to God about it. I just shared with y'all at the beginning of this message that I've been dealing with depression and I've been struggling a little bit. And I made a joke that at least an hour a day I've been okay. That's not complete. I'm actually, to be honest, on those days when I really do turn it over to God, even without medication, I'm a lot better than I am when I don't. I want to talk about the medicine part too, but because the second thing here is seek professional help, counseling and medication if needed. Not everybody needs medication. Not everybody even needs counseling, but I think a lot more people do than, than admit it. And that's another one of those things that I never wanted to do. Well, I don't want to talk to some stranger about my problems. Does it help? It does. It makes a difference. There's something about just getting it out. Have you ever had a, a fight with, with somebody important to you, a spouse or a kid or a sibling, coworker, and you have something in your head of how the situation's going and you've built it up? I'm going to tell you all, I've had conversations with my wife over and over and over again that she's never heard. <laughs> Where I've worked it out in my head what I want to say to her. And I know in my head what she's going to say back to me. And on those times that I come to her and say what I knew I wanted to say to her, you know what she says back to me? Something totally different than I ever expected. But when we sit down and talk it out, just talking about it makes it better. Makes us feel better. Makes us understand the other person is dealing with stuff too. Seek professional help. Now, does everybody need medicine? No. You notice my first point was to pray. Go to God, ask him for help. Maybe he will choose to deliver you supernaturally just through the power of prayer. But maybe he's going to tell you through prayer that you need to go get some help because there may actually be something physically wrong. Go find out. Get the help you need, whether God chooses to heal supernaturally or through medicine or through counseling or whatever it may be, accept the help he's offering. There used to be a story years ago, people shared all the time about a guy that was out in a flood and he's drowning and he started praying, God, please rescue me. Please help me get out of this. Please let me get away from this. Please let me get out of this flood. And, and a boat, this guy comes by and a John boat paddling and said, hey man, come on, get in. He says, no, I don't want you to pull me out. I'm trusting God to save me. And so the guy went on. Then uh, the Coast Guard came by and said, hey man, we're here. They threw him a, a 
one of those round things. And he said, he said, hey, he's like, no, no, I don't want your help. God's going to save me. I'm trusting God. And then a helicopter shows up and they drop a, a rope down to him, a ladder, and they tell him to climb up. And he's like, no, no, I'm not, I don't want you to help me. I want God to save me. And so then he dies and goes to heaven and, and God, and he's like, God, I don't understand. I trusted you. I, I thought you were going to save me. And he said, you idiot. I sent you three different people and you didn't take the help. There you go. I don't know if God would call him an idiot, but fits my life. Do what God leads you to do. But trust, sometimes he answers prayers through supernatural means. Sometimes he answers them through other people. Thirdly, call on the elders for prayer. We just saw that in James. If you're struggling, if you're dealing with something, let them come pray. There are people that believe that when they anointed with oil, that was because that was the medicine of their day. I don't know if that's true or not, but regardless of whether it is or not, we're told to anoint for the elders to anoint with oil, so our elders do that. You can call on the elders of our church, and they will come and anoint you with oil and pray over you, trusting God for healing. And I believe you could do that for mental as well as physical. And then lastly, surround yourself with people who will love, encourage, and pray for you. I've already talked about that a little bit, but folks, if you're dealing with things in your life right now, find the answers. How do you get deliverance? Pray. Get help professionally. Come to those people in the church that love you and let them pray for you. Surround yourself with people that you know love you and will encourage you. And see what God does. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I know 